0: what now happy valentine's day hopefully you guys you figured that out by now things are taken care of and if i'm just reminding you please don't get on your phone now and order flowers so they're there when you get home or anything like that but hopefully you set aside time uh, to be with your spouse i uh, can't compel you enough to not just on valentine's day but on uh, you know just regularly something i was never always good at but it's so important Uh, You know, I hear from some people like, ah, we've been married for 15 years. We don't need to go on dates anymore. And we wonder why our marriages aren't doing super well. Um, It's been really cool, even in this season. Well, we have practice for soccer four or three nights a week and games on the weekends. Right now, Sarah and I I still, in the midst of this, are able to get together once a week and have time together alone. I think it's so important for us as uh, husbands and wives in many seasons and all seasons to be able to date one another. So if you're not... Leave today. Forget everything else I'm saying. You need to date your spouse when you leave here, okay? Everybody good with that? All right, cool. We're alive and we're ready to open God's word. We're in Matthew chapter 24 this morning. Matthew 24. It's going to be a great morning as we start a launch into a new series. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, But thinking about all that has happened in the last year. Uh, man, I'm, I'm super excited to open up Matthew chapter 24 and 25 over the next seven weeks and be able to share with you some amazing things that Jesus declared. Because uh, uh, over the last year as a pastor, I've gotten a lot of different questions. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And I'm not, if you ask these questions, nothing wrong with you asking these questions, but people ask a lot of different questions in this last season, kind of like looking at what's going on in our culture and saying, are these all, are these signs or markers of the return of Christ? Like, is Christ coming back this year with everything that we see? I mean, I've read articles that declare that vaccines are the mark of the beast. Uh, I've read uh, or I've watched YouTube videos declaring that Christ will, in fact, come back this year in 2020. And here we are in 2021. And a host of other claims, lots of different claims. And now I totally understand. I I don't make light of what I'm saying, right? Right. I totally understand, and my heart goes out to my many people, including myself. Where I mean, it's been a crazy year. It's been overwhelming. A lot has been happening. Things have been all over the place. It's caused people uh, to have heightened anxiety. People, if you wrestled with anxiety before two thousand and twenty, it only like fanned the flame of that in two thousand and twenty. Even more so. People have wrestled with heartache and emotions and many looking for answers, asking questions like, man, what is happening in the world around us? And as we look into 2021, as we come out of that, people are asking, what now? Like, what is this, what is this year going to look like? What are, what are we going to do now? What is God doing in the world around us? And how should we live In light of what God calls us to. And what does God say about the future? What does God say is going to happen in the future? And then in light of that, how does it impact how I'm called to live today? And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24 and 25 as we walk up to getting closer to Easter. And Matthew 24 and 25 is known as the Olivet Discourse, meaning it's a discourse given on the Mount of Olives. And so it's this beautiful scene. If you're on the Mount of Olives, you can look across the Kidred Valley and see the Temple Mount, what is now used to be the temple there. Now there's a mosque there. And the Temple Mount, uh, this beautiful picture in my office, I should have brought it and showed it to you. But Sarah and I standing on the Mount of Olives looking over at the Temple Mount where the temple used to be. And here Jesus gives this discourse, and Matthew's filled with these discourses at different sections of chapters, and this is the final discourse that Jesus gives his disciples. He shares a bunch of different stuff, I mean, from pretty radical stuff, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, signs of his coming and the end of the age, all of these things that were super significant for his disciples because he wanted them to live lives that were ready for what was to come. He wanted them to live lives that were fulfilling what he called them to in the unsettling or the craziness of the world that was now and to come, and we're living in today. So we're going to be starting a new series looking at this, looking at, man, how must we live in light of what we believe about the future? And, man, how does what we believe about the future impact how we are supposed to live today? If we truly believe these things, then it should impact how we live every single day. So we're starting today in a series we're calling What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. And I'm super excited to see what we believe about the future and what it should do to our everyday lives and how we fulfill what God has called us to. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24. You want to look there with me, we're going to look at the first 14 verses and a few different sections of Scripture and just see three things that Jesus declares Declares as he says in these moments, he's talking to his disciples. Now, a little bit of context. Later on, go back and read chapter twenty-one and twenty-two and twenty-three, and see a little bit of the context leading up to this passage. I mean, you read back, and the last time we see Jesus going into the temple is Matthew chapter twenty-one and verse twenty-three. But he's cleansed the temple. I mean, this is a pretty radical scene where Jesus making whips and like cleaning out the temple, and then you you see the scene where Jesus uh, curses a. A fig tree. And the disciples don't even totally understand it, but it has implications of the temple. And he's sharing this in this moment. He argues in the temple. He has these debates with the Pharisees and the spiritual leaders. And then there's this really heavy passage in Matthew chapter 23. We'll come back to it at the end. Where Jesus shares all of these woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the religious elite. As their hearts are far from god but yet they seemingly have it all together and then out of that jesus at the end of chapter 23 if you want to look there with me i'll read it real quick this is the context with which we find jesus leaving the temple he says oh jerusalem chapter 23 and verse 37 oh jerusalem jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stone those stones those who are sent to it how often i would have gathered your children together as the hens gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate, speaking of the temple. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and then he leaves the temple. And that's where we find ourselves today. In the first declaration, in literally this great destruction that jesus declares look in the first two verses jesus says this or matthew says this excuse me jesus left the temple after what i just read for you and was going away and when his disciples came to the point out came to point out to him the buildings of the temple but he answered them you see all these things pointed at the temple do you not do you not uh you see all these things do you not Truly I say to you, there will, be, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So he's declaring this great destruction of the temple, the central thing within their system of worship. And I mean, this first section is quite uh, audacious, where Jesus says, man, the destruction of the temple is going to happen. But it has major implications because he just got done saying, like, man, in, verse, in, in the, the last verses in chapter uh 23, it's like, man, for I tell you, this house is left desolate, and then he walks out of the temple. Now, what it means is he walks out of the temple. He was going away, and we know that he left. He walked down into the valley and came up on the other side in in, in the Mount of Olives because that's where we find him interacting with the disciples. So he leaves the temple, but it's not just him leaving. This is a major deal. It's a sign after what he shares of him exiting the temple. One commentator says it this way, that he's abandoning it the temple. Never to return. And after that, it has no future except to be destroyed, is what he actually says that's going to happen. Because Jesus knows that we learn later in AD 70, the whole temple was destroyed. Jesus knows the fate that is coming on the temple because of their uh, wrong belief and rejection of Christ. The meaning of the temple is quite amazing, but the disciples they don't get it. I mean, they, they, they don't totally understand the cleansing of it, the cursing of the fig trees, all of these woes and laments to all of the different scribes and Pharisees, but they're still enamored with the building. I mean, like, they walk out, and as they're walking out, they're still like, man, Jesus, look at this building. Now, would have been unbelievable. I mean, it took years and years and years and years to build. It was like one of the wonders of the world, the central thing in all of their worship. I love the way the Gospel of Mark says it. the same text, they say, it says, this is what the disciples say, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And then in true form, Jesus blows the disciples' minds. He says, hey, I just want to let you know that there will not be one stone left upon another, for it will all be thrown down. And he's declaring a, a destruction of the temple. Like I said, it actually was fulfilled what jesus said he knew what happened in a.d. 7 jesus left he's not returning the temple's been abandoned and the glory of god's presence literally in christ has departed and in all honesty this is jesus rejecting the jewish nationalism and those leaders whose power was focused on the temple and its rituals and the rejection of christ now this is fascinating because there's more to it. It's not just this. I mean, sometime when you have time, if you're listening online, later on, if you want to do a cool study sometime, just read the, the, the book of Leviticus sometime and look at all it says about the law and then read the book of Hebrews and put them next to each other and see how the, book, the, the writer of Hebrews declares that Christ is the fulfillment of everything that is declared in Leviticus. I mean, he's the new great high priest. He's the one-time sacrifice. We don't have to make sacrifices over and over again because he's the one sacrifice that one time was done, and now it's fulfilled for all time. He's also the fulfillment of the temple. Hebrews, in chapter 8 and verse 4, it says this, Now if he, Jesus, were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Now listen to this. They serve a copy and shadow of, of the heavenly things. So they're, they're a shadow, they're a picture of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. And what they're writing here is literally all the topic here is the temple, the priest, the sacrifice. All of these realities he's saying are but just a shadow of what was to come in Christ. All of them were just a, a picture of a heavenly reality that is only found in Christ. When Christ comes and he fulfills the temple. I mean, in the Gospel of John, he literally says that. Remember the passage in the Gospel of John? Chapter 2 and verse 19, he says this fascinating words. As he's standing in the temple, he says this, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, they're like confused. They're like, wait, you'll never be able to like rebuild the temple in three days. You're crazy. But he wasn't speaking about the temple. In a moment, he was talking about his literal body, which was going to die, and he was going to raise it again in three days. He's saying, I am the temple. I am the place where literally true worship of God is now found. And me, I mean, later... The gospel of john or excuse me the the writer the apostle john writes in revelation 21 saying speaking of the new heavens like where we'll be with god for all of time says this and i saw no temple in the city for its temple is the lord god almighty and the lamb did you hear that that christ is the lamb the temple This is significant for our passage because when Jesus exits the temple and declares its destruction, he's doing more than just saying it's going to happen. He's declaring something about himself. And the New Testament teaches with utmost clarity that Jesus Christ is God's glory tabernacled among us. I mean, the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says, And Christ came, he put on flesh, and he dwelt among us. The word literally in Greek is tabernacled. That He is the glory of God in our midst. And Jesus is the temple. Jesus Christ is where God's perfect worship will happen for all time. So I just, when I read this, just some face value stuff, it's amazing that I can read this and then in history, this actually happened. That when Christ says something's gonna happen, it happens. That I can trust the words of Jesus with utmost hope no matter what i experience in this world around me i can trust what jesus says he's faithful that when he declares it he actually brings it into fruition so let me just ask you over the last year and all the stuff that's happened in the world around you has your trust in the words of god or the word of god risen or diminished i mean as you look at all the stuff have you got caught up in the fact that like men you look it up like god you sure you got this under control has arisen that, like, no matter what I see, because what we see, we'll get there in a minute, Minute is actually exactly what Jesus said would happen. What we experienced this last year is exactly what Jesus said would happen. How many times we get caught up in trusting what we see rather than what Jesus said. Man, do you trust him? His word is faithful. And lastly, I don't think we can move past this without talking about the true context of the passage. That's why I always tell you it's important not just to read a verse and take it out of context, you've got to know the context, what comes before it, what comes after, what's the scenery, what's happening. I I think it's super important here, in the context of Jesus leaving the temple, the woes of chapter 23 that happened just before this is part of the heart of Christ towards the religious elite that denied him, but yet thought they had it all together spiritually. I mean, it's summed up in Matthew chapter 23, in verses 3 through 5. I just want to read it really quickly. It says this, For they, these people, the, the, the Pharisees and the religious elite, for these people, they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by Throughout the gospel, Jesus continually rejects the Pharisees' identity that was found in following the religi- religious things of their day to be seen or to think that they are right with God. Constantly rejecting those things. And in fact, he came preaching and sharing a new identity that is found in our heart, not in following the law, in, in following our identity in Christ. And man, can I mean, I can't tell you, we struggle with the same thing today. There's so many people that just are finding their identity in the fact that they grew up in a Christian home. They're a part of a Christian home now. They come to church. They give on a regular basis. They serve. And, man, I just have it it all together. Meanwhile, our hearts many times are far from God. We have all this stuff on the outside that looks good. If someone looks at my life, they'll be like, man, that guy's for sure a Christian. But if they saw my heart, really, I haven't spoken to God in a long time. I haven't read my Bible in a long time. But man, I am at church every Sunday morning. One of the things we have to wrestle with, and I've shared this before, is that Jesus' strongest words against anyone in the New Testament comes to those people who seemingly have it all together and follow all the religious right stuff. And they are really the conservatives of their day. And those are the people that Jesus has the harshest statements towards. Find me a place where someone is far from God where Jesus is condemning. And I will find you people in the New Testament who seemingly have it all together. And their hearts are far from him. And Jesus is very stern with them. That is something we as Christians should wrestle with. That God's not just about your behavior modification. He's about your heart. Jesus isn't just about your morality. He's about your heart. And if it doesn't flow from a heart that loves him and comes after him, he says things like it's clanging cymbals and it's loud noise. And this is what Jesus is rejecting. Moving forward and saying, come and follow me. Where's your heart with the Lord? What does that look like for you? Do your, does your heart and your hands meld together? Do they look the same? Or is it that you just grew up in a Christian home your whole life, And you go to church because it's what you do. It's what we've always done. And I want to make sure my kids have a good moral compass so we come to church. Man, that is not what Jesus is about. That is not what Christianity is about. Christianity came, Jesus came, so that we could throw out religious activity for a beautiful relationship with God. Do you have that relationship? If not, I'd love to chat with you. Let's have a conversation about what that looks like for you. Well, there's another thing that Jesus declares, and it's a great deception that is going to come. Look with me in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, tell us then, tell us when these things will be. Man, like, we want to know when this is going to happen. And what will be the sign of your coming and of, and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place but... The end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these things are but the beginnings, not the end, the beginnings of birth. And so, man, they hear this thing from Jesus. We're like, man, we're going to, the whole temple is going to be destroyed. So in their own mind, the temple is such a huge deal, and it was. I mean, just the structure of it. If, if he's saying, man, the whole temple is going to be destroyed and knocked down, they're immediately thinking, this has to be the end of the world. This is the end of it all. So they immediately come to Christ, and they say, privately, he's now sitting on the side of the Mount of Olives. They go away from the crowd, and they're like, hey, man, we don't want to look dumb, but, man, can you just tell us the secrets? Like, when are you coming back, and what's that going to look like? Because I need to know, right? And it's fascinating what Jesus shares with them. Jesus replied to his disciples. He starts with one of the main themes that you'll find through this whole discourse. And this theme is this, that there's a danger of being led astray by imposters. And a danger of jumping too hastily to eschatological conclusions. What I mean by that is jumping too hastily of trying to figure out how it's going to end. Or thinking we haven't figured out how it's going to end. He warns against that. He says, man, there's going to be people that come in my name. What he means is, he's not saying that they're going to come necessarily and say, man, I'm Jesus Christ. What they're going to do, he's saying, what it means is that they aim to usurp his place. That he is the only Christ the only one that gets all of our allegiance. The only one that finds we can find hope in. The only one that will bring salvation. The only one that will bring satisfaction. That's what he's saying. But there's going to be a lot of people over the ages. He's saying they're going to come and they're going to try to lead you astray. So his heart is pastoral towards his disciples. Be, Don't let us stray. Don't be led astray. There's going to be people that come. There's going to be things that come that want to grab for your attention. They're going to promise you that they're the, salve- they're the Savior. But I'm telling you, there's no one but me additionally as hard as that we don't jump to hastily at thinking we haven't figured out how it's going to end he says man oftentimes there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and nations rising against one another and natural disasters man they're, they're he, oftentimes these things are often seen as the end they're like man i hear people all the time like man jesus has got to be coming back this year because this is crazy And again, this last year, a lot of people got to that conclusion. Man, what's happening, this has to be it. But the the thing about it, what Jesus is saying is, these things have always been allowed by God to happen in the redemptive purposes of God. And there's not any specific connection to them leading to the end, although they are connected in some way. And Jesus says, this is the beginning of the sufferings, right? It suggests that such events Man, they have unlimited, amazing connection to the end, but they're not necessarily the thing that leads to the final consummation, the final ending of it all. They're not precursors. That when there's an international pandemic, I'm coming back the next month. He's saying that these things will happen, right? Now I know it's tempting over the last year for a lot of people to get wrapped over the years of different things happening, we get tempted to wrap wrap up in what Jesus is saying here. And sometimes we miss the point. Here's the thing: if what you read here, man, we will miss the point if we think Jesus is more concerned about prophecy than perseverance. We have missed the point. If we think Jesus is more concerned about giving prophetic declarations of them figuring everything out than it is pastorally about perseverance, He's saying, Man, this is amazing. This is Jesus beginning and admonishes to his disciples, telling them, man, don't over-speculate at the expense of present obedience. Don't get so wrapped up that you're you're so heavenly-minded, maybe you've heard it, that you're no earthly good. In what I'm doing every single day in your lives and around the world, so much of what Jesus is saying in this passage is pastoral about us being in it in the middle. So Jesus literally says, In our passage, expect earthly groanings, earthquakes, famines, wars, all of these things in our fallen world, but be cautious, be cautious. It seems like signs, but they are not signs of the end. Can I just ask, how many people do you know that wrote a book and made a lot of money about declaring when Jesus was coming back and what day and what month? How many of those people were right? All of them were wrong. All of them were wrong. All of them. Jesus' heart here is to persevere in the midst of all that this has happened. I mean, the word perseverance means to persist in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. And this is the heart that Jesus has for his disciples. Man, you're going to inter- uh, you're gonna hear about them some things. You're going to interact with some things. There's going to be things that are overwhelming. But in all of it, I want you to persevere to the end. Keep your eyes fixed on me. And Jesus' heart for his disciples is the heart he has for us today in perseverance. He longs for us not to be led astray, but to continue in following him. And how many times... Over the year, there's not people that are coming to say, in the last year, I can name a bunch of things, but I'm not going to. The people that declare that I am the Savior of the world. They don't come out and say, man, I am Jesus Christ. And there's pastors over the years that declare that they have all of this stuff or this knowledge, right? But what he's saying is it doesn't matter whether it's a pastor, a person, a political figure, a group, or an organization. He's saying none of those things or people have what it takes to give you ultimate satisfaction and salvation. That's only in me. Don't be led astray. Don't be led astray. Don't, don't take your eyes off of me. And additionally, he said, man, don't get caught up in all this other stuff. I wonder how many of us have just gotten caught up in all that's been happening around the world those last year and taken our eyes off of what God has for us here and now. We're so caught up in just watching the news. And we're, so, we're spending so much less time figuring out how I'm going to love my neighbor through the midst of it. We get caught up in everything that happens. We hear about wars and rumors of wars and nations rising against others and pandemics and lots of other things. And they've grappled our attention. They've stolen our joy. They've inflated our anxiety. And they cause us to ask many different questions. And Jesus' words for his disciples are as relevant today as they were back then. And his words are this. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Men, keep your eyes on fixed on Jesus. Keep persevering and following him. So let me ask you, like, where does it, those of you listening online, where does this find you today? Can I just ask, what has the last year done to your soul? Has it caused you to, like, find a greater beauty in God's story and what God is doing, and a greater faith knowing that he's got your back, or has it caused your faith to shake, to be like, man, I don't know. I've been looking at all this other stuff, and I'm allowing all this other stuff to speak into my heart and my mind, rather than these things. Don't lose heart. Continue persevering. And the last declaration he makes is, a, is literally a declaration, the great declaration as he talks about the gospel going forward to all the world. Look what it says in verse 9. Uh, then they just imagine the disciples listening to this for a moment as i read this then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake thank you jesus and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray and because lawlessness will be increased the love of many will grow cold Thank you, God, that's very encouraging. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be, not might be, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Imagine the disciples are like, hey, tell us when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. He's like, all right, you buckle up. You're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. There's going to be people in the church and outside the church. I mean, all this stuff's going to happen. They're like, wait a minute, Jesus, like, when's this? Don't tell me this. That's the, the craziness of what he shares. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're thinking, like, man, he's he's dead, he rose from the grave, like I this is glorious. He he overcame death. Like we are, we are with him, we're gonna take over the world. And then Jesus is like, I'm out, you're gonna experience all this stuff. Enjoy. I mean, this is this is the fascinating thing. He says, Man, from outside of the church, expect tribulation and martyrdom. And as they are hated by all people for my name's sake. And then from inside the church, this is what I want you to expect. I want you to expect that many are going to fall away. They're going to to betray each other. They're going to hate you. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be a lack of God as a love for the world actually increases. This is exactly what we've seen play out in history since the time of Acts until now. Outside of the world, all over the world, Christians are hated and martyred. Inside of, the, inside of the church, we see people fall away as they love the world more than they love Jesus. They turn on one another. They hate one another. From the time of Acts, when Christ left, till now. Man, this is a lesson for us today. Jesus' heart for us today is the same. We need to rid ourselves of this utopian dream that someday, before Jesus' return, the church will be free from suffering. It's not what we find in Scripture. Jesus actually tells us something quite different. He says, man, between the resurrection and the return, it's going to be filled with adversity and suffering and pain. I mean, Jesus was pretty quite, he was quite clear with what he says when he says, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He was pretty clear, the cross now and then the crown, labor now and then delivery afterwards. Man, he's calling us, be patient in suffering. Endure, breathe in, breathe out, trust that God will work everything out for good. The baby will soon be born, and the hard and long labor will not go without worth. It's just the beginning of labor pains, he says. And then finally he gets to some encouragement in verses 13 and 14. After all these negatives, first he says, man, the one who endures to the end will be saved. He's not saying the end of the age, like he's saying to the end of their life, the one who endures, that perseveres through, will be saved. That throughout scripture, man, following Jesus is clearly set out as a marathon, not a sprint. That as we endure, we persevere through all that God has called us to. He says those will be saved. He's not saying like if you persevere, you'll be saved because of it. He's saying that the mark of someone who truly follows Jesus will persevere even through adversity to the end. It's part of the mark. It's called perseverance of the saints that we as followers of Jesus, we're true followers of Jesus. We will persevere to the end. And then the second one is super encouraging. He says, the word, Jesus, when he says, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. Man, if there's ever a place to say amen or write it in your Bible, it's not, I hope it will, it's not, if it's going to say, it will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. The end will come, he's saying, when the gospel has gone outside of the Jewish community and into the unknown world, which we are all a part of, which we get to say Amen. But what's amazing about this text, and this is where I want to land, is he says that no matter what the troubles are in the world, no matter if there's a pandemic internationally, no matter whether there's, there's, there's economic downfall, no matter if there's divisions all over the world we're experiencing today, then and back now, no matter what the troubles are in the world, it will not hinder the progress of the kingdom of God. It will not hinder it. Instead, in all of those adversities, in all of those problems and pandemics and unrest and all these different things, we're actually giving opportunity to push forward the kingdom of God. In all of that, God says, that is where your opportunity is to push forward the kingdom. It's not hindered. It's actually advanced in that moment. When you read that, this is what we see in the book of Acts and all throughout history, in the church's history all over the world, that two things are vitally important in the pushing forward of the kingdom of God. It is the persecution of the church and the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus said it from the beginning. We see it throughout our church history. We should not be surprised, no matter what is happening in the world here and around the world, in the mix of that, God is doing powerful things to push forward the kingdom of God. So I want to say this with the utmost respect. It's this. Instead of us as followers of Jesus taking time to try to decode current events, famines, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, pandemics, and all the rest, we need to first and foremost spend our energy on the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Can I tell you one day when christ returns you will be not you you will not be and i will not be commended on how accurately we predicted the date of Christ's return rather those of us who have spent our time our energy and effort taking the good news of the gospel of jesus to our neighbors and our networks and the rest of the world will hear well done good and faithful servant because that is what we find as our big idea in the whole text is that the gospel the gospel of the kingdom must and will be proclaimed throughout the world. It will be. And what's fascinating and amazing is, is we get to be a part of that. I mean, you get to be a part of You're invited into the story of God. I'll, I'll just be honest. As of today, as far as I know, maybe you don't know something I don't Christ hasn't come back. So if that's true, we have a lot of work to do. There's a lot of your neighbors. There's a lot of people that you work with. There's a lot of people that work at your coffee shop and your restaurant and the places you do life. All of There's a lot of people that have yet to hear the gospel in a way that is compelling, that the Spirit of God would move in their heart and they would give their lives to Jesus. So there's a lot of work still left to do. Let's take our focus and our gaze off of men with all the troubles are around the world and fix them firmly on Jesus and what he's called us to do in making disciples of all nations because he says the gospel will go out throughout the whole world and then the end will come. My focus is bringing the gospel to all my neighbors, my networks, and the people around you. We just finished doing, maybe you weren't a part of it in your group but our group just finished doing a book that talked just about that, that we're placed for a purpose. Today, as you leave this place, wherever you choose to go lunch, you're placed there for a purpose. Wherever places you're going home to, you're placed there for a purpose. Wherever job you go to, you're placed there for a purpose. So that the gospel of the kingdom of God could go out one person at a time, one heart at a time. The exception is that you guys all invite your friends and family to church, and I share the gospel with them from the platform, and they all give their lives to Jesus. The rule is that one heart at a time, the kingdom of God moves forward. And you're a part of that equation. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.